Two Takes on the Pod. My name is Osai, and this is my podcast where I take on themes exploring culture and society from the viewpoint of Africans home and abroad. On this episode, I'm chatting with Hamida Buhari, host of the podcast Vestiges of Violence, which covers personal stories of victims of violence in conflict-ridden areas in Africa, particularly northern Nigeria, northeastern Nigeria, I guess I would say, um, for this episode. The show is produced by Human Angle, a publication focused on insightful and objective coverage of insecurity across Africa. Yes, I definitely borrowed this from their website. Don't judge me. So I wanted to have this conversation because I just felt like the issues going on in northeastern Nigeria or north, northern Nigeria as a whole, um, I feel like I'm not covering in detail that would really help push the conversation or just help especially people out here in the diaspora learn and understand really what is going on and, and the kind of things people are facing out there. So uh, I did a little bit of research myself because, you know, I didn't want to just assume that no one was doing the work. And sure enough, I found Human Angle and I also found Vestiges of Violence. And what's interesting about Vestiges of Violence is that they focus on the actual people. Um, so the way I start off this conversation is I try to get some background on Human Angle itself and on really what the mission is beyond um, what we see on the on the webpage. Then we dive into vestiges of violence and Hamida explains a simple idea that kind of kickstarted it. The meat of this conversation starts with us discussing some of the stories that are covered in the show. And I put some short clips in this episode to help paint the picture. It's mostly narrated. However, this is your trigger warning. Later on, I ask her about the military success rate in that region. And I also ask how they cover groups like ISWAP and Boko Haram. It has to be nerve-wracking for journalists. Even some of those stories, right, were really, really powerful. Like, I don't know how you can keep your mental health in, in check, you know, when you're hearing this on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis. We ultimately end on the trends that she's seeing, where she speaks emphatically about what we can all do to help support not only the people that are surviving these terrorists, but also the cause itself, the cause to share that information and put the word out there. And yes, that also means us in diaspora. As usual, I provided the links in the show notes. Please use them and do your best to support. For now, enjoy the show. Let the black light shine on society and expose the truth. Let the black light shine. Make you expose of the evil hiding in the darkness. Let the black light shine into our hearts and into our soul. On we path, let it guide we fool, yeah. From society and expose the truth, yeah. joining the show today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for joining me. So um, so today we are talking about your podcast, uh, The Vestiges yeah. of Violence, um, that is, I guess, put out on Human Angle, correct? Yes, Human Angle. 
I love how I'm saying correct. Like I've not had to look into this <laughs> for the past couple of days. Um, uh, so just for anybody who doesn't who doesn't know, uh, Hamida is the host of Vestiges of Violence, and the show essentially talks about, uh, I guess, uh, human insecurity uh, in Nigeria mostly Northwest Nigeria, but I'll let her get into it for you. And Human Angle as a publication um, covers insecurity all across Africa. So if you haven't heard of the uh, publication, check out the link in the notes. It's going to be out there. But before we get into it, Hamida, how would you describe um, what you do on Vestiges of Violence, the podcast, and maybe even from a larger perspective, um, Human Angle? So basically, um, Vestiges of Violence focuses on um, telling the stories, experiences of victims of violence in Nigeria. So it's basically about bringing life, you know, bringing flesh to some of these statistics we see on TV. Mm -hmm. So in the news, you always see, oh, this number of people have been displaced, this number of people have been killed, but there's no real connection to it. So basically, the podcast is just bringing light to, you know, the experiences and how the yeah the experiences and what these people have gone through this internally displaced or displaced people and also violence victims mm. yeah i think yeah, you guys do a really good job of that you know you and even with the audio editing and things like that i feel like you try to put uh you put us in that place you know like mm-hmm. there's, there's one one of the stories where um the ladies was, she was talking about uh basically having to sit in the rain and as they were talking mm-hmm. about it they kind of like captured that notion and now it's obviously horrible and horrific some of the things that some of these people have gone through so it's not pretty yeah. um but I, I like the fact that they've taken an extra step to really try and immerse you in that experience um mm. so 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 i'm i'm, I'm really i think the work that you guys really uh, do at uh, human angle is really cool but the publication as a whole um can you talk a little bit about you know maybe the background and the mission of um of human angle and maybe how you got involved thank you so um, essentially, Human Angle um, is a platform that reports on conflict, security, humanitarian and development um, issues and activities um, in Nigeria and also sub-Saharan Africa. And basically, we're bringing light to stories that are untold, you know, reports that are never out there that aren't, you know, in mainstream media, basically. So we're just trying to shed more light, you know, spotlight these issues of insecurity, um, conflict in, um, conflict-ravaged areas um, in sub-Saharan Africa and especially in Nigeria. So that's basically what we do. And um, we... And basically, we um, also make sure or we also um, focus on factually reporting these things because we notice that online nowadays, in recent times on social media, there's a lot of fake news, you know. So Mm. having to sift through all that, we make sure we bring in facts, you know, bring in reality, bring in truth telling into our um, publication and our platform. So that's basically what we do and our mission. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you guys are doing really powerful work. I've uh, continuously seen um, public, uh, I guess, you know, articles and publications from you guys uh, over the past year. Um, and I believe the publication itself was uh, launched in 2020. Correct. March twenty twenty, yes. I believe is uh, um, March twenty twenty. Yes. 
right? So, so it seems like you guys have gotten a lot going in the, in the past year or so. Um, just before, like, I can't leave this. I, I wanted to understand um, how do you guys even like? So you said you want to you focus on factual information, and that's such a big thing because it's so easy for you know things to get lost in Nigeria. So I'm curious, how are you able to secure that factual information? Because in, in the regions that you guys are typically covering, it's very unsafe. You know, it's probably very hard for journalists, but not just journalists, but even the people who live in those communities. So how are you guys able to, um, and, and this may not be a question that you have all the answers to, but I'm just yeah. curious um, how, how you yeah. guys are able to, uh, you know, I guess, get the resources and things uh, and get the people to be able to uh, capture and report on these stories. So basically, we have trained reporters that are called fact checkers, basically, especially for stories that um, might be fake news. Right. We also have reporters that have contacts, you know, and reporters that go into the field to verify information. So that's some of the ways that we ensure that we pass out like correct or um, factual information. And also we carry out fact checks by trained reporters, you know, those reporters that have um, in-depth understanding on how to sift through fake news and how to provide, um, yes, right information and how right. to um, contrast, uh, contrast or differentiate between um, what might be fake news and what might be the real story behind that news. Right, yeah. right, um, and and yeah, that's that can be easy to do because uh, we see a lot coming out every single day. Um, so let's focus on the let's focus on the podcast vestiges of violence, and I'm just curious. Uh, how did that start? You know, so you're doing it. So my understanding is like you guys have been the publication. And then I guess uh, shortly after you launched this podcast, I believe this is the third, first podcast um, by Human Angle, correct? Yes. Okay, so we so- launched um, a year later, mm-hmm. a bit over a year later. Um, my <clears throat> Mr. Ahmed Selkida is one of the founders of Human Angle. I think how this came about was that we were in the office together with some of my colleagues and he's like, why don't we launch a podcast to throw more light on these um, victims that we always report on? So nowadays we realize that everyone, or a lot of people would rather listen than read, you know? Right. Every, um, our, um, um, our attention span is just... Um, shorter. We would rather right. just listen. You know, everyone is with their earphones and headphones and all. So he's like, why don't we tap into that niche? You know, tap into that audience that would rather listen to the news or listen to experiences than read them. So that's basically how vestiges of violence came about. Wow, that's and that's and that was a great idea because I think that is the challenge. You know, it's almost as if it's it's reading is the hardest thing, and then. Uh, listening, you know, audios is the next thing, and then video is typically the most preferred. So it's a it's a yeah. real challenge for people who are either writing or or creating on audio platforms. So um, it, it's it's you know I, I think it's obviously a great idea, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm I'm guessing you guys are seeing 
the fruits or, or the rewards from it, right? Yes, definitely. That's good. That's good. So um, the next little bit I wanted to do was just get into maybe some of the stories um, that, that, you know, you've covered uh, so far. And um, I, w- I want to just start there. How do you guys decide on your stories? My guess is that you're, you know, you're engaging with survivors on a, on a daily basis. And uh, I know you have a newsroom that essentially covers and reports this already. So there must be no shortage of information that's coming your way. How do you guys decide on the stories that you're going to be able to tell? And, and how do you guys approach that? So um, whenever we're going into an episode of Vestiges of Violence, we normally have reporters, firstly, that go into the field, you know. They go into um, conflict-prone or crisis-ravaged areas and they get the stories. They listen to the victims, you know, they um, write their reports and tell, <clears throat> write down their stories. So it starts from there. And once the reports back, we decide which stories to tell. We always have... Um, there's always maybe a consensus on which of the stories and which of which of the stories to tell and um, what the reporters who have reported on these stories think based on their experience or um, their meeting with these um, victims. So from there, we're going to the script writing and, you know, the voicing, right. the storytelling. So. Right. So it, um, always, it always comes down to the reporters, you know, that engage with those victims <clears throat> and hear okay. their stories. And yeah, so basically, that's how we make it work. Okay. And um, and these reporters, are these like, uh, uh, are they deciding like, is this something that's going to be an article? And then uh, they also say, hey, this would also be a good podcast episode. And basically, it gets split up into that. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, are the episodes basically, or the reporters, are they collecting this information for articles first? And then depending on what the consensus is, um, podcast second, or is it just specifically for the podcast that this research is, it like this research that's taking place, what's it for? What's the intention initially? So um, most of um, the podcast episodes are definitely reports, you know, that are published on the website because our um, podcast episodes can only do so much justice. But with the reports, you can go in depth and there are some parts that might not be um, put into the um, episodes that then you get more enlightened on when you read the article. So we always give um, our readers or our listeners the choice of listening to it, you know, the storytelling and the emotions and also the um, choice to read these stories and get more information that might not have been included in the podcast episode. Mm. So it's always both ways. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. I think it's a, it's an interesting way to approach it, but I I see exactly what you mean. And now just understanding what you said, my perspective is, you know, I will read the podcast because I've only been listening to the podcast, but from what you said, you know, depending on how I felt about each, which of the stories I've listened to, there might be more information captured in the article on the website. Right. So it's easier for you to just go back um, and um, read the, information or the article 
mm-hmm. based on that podcast or episode you've listened to. Mm-hmm. It gives gives you more depth, you know, more understanding. Right. So just just a little bit more context into what's going on. Yes, basically. Okay. Um, so I'm just curious. Are there any episodes that, you know, you know, for my listeners that you would maybe point them to and, and maybe talk a little bit about why? Um, so for me personally, there are some episodes that stood out for me, you know, even telling the story, it made me pause and think, you know, and reflect. So I think one of the episodes was the, um, sorry, a mother to a terrorist child. It was a very graphic, I don't know if your listeners would mind, but it was graphic and it made me understand. I think there was a part in that um, podcast episode, that episode that mm-hmm. stood out because she was describing something so graphic, something you would, you would normally see in your forum. Whatever donations they get, IDPs take to farming, trading, or even sex work. And some of these come with a lot of risks. Balu Aga occasionally went to the forest areas to fetch firewood for cooking and selling, but this is dangerous. Even though Boko Haram terrorists have not launched repeated attacks inside Medugori for a long time, they lurk in the surrounding communities, highways, and forests. The first time Balu went to the forest, she returned with a bunch of firewood that fetched her 1,000 naira. The second time, she made a little less, but was still content. The third time, she was not so lucky as she was kidnapped by Boko Haram terrorists. About 19 terrorists armed with guns, sharp knives, and cutlasses. And I'm like, this is what I watch. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's gruesome, but this is someone's reality, you know, having to experience that and the mental, you know, stress, the, the breakdown, the PTSD that comes from that. Mm-hmm. It was just something I was trying to grasp that this is what, this is someone's reality. And um, another episode, I think that was the fifth episode. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but the second episode. And then there's the displaced by the military, I think. Right. Um, the fifth episode. It was disabled about... By the, the, uh, disabled by the, sorry, uh, by the military? Right, yes, right, right. It was about a woman's son that got disabled and the characteristics or the damage that was done to the boy was so mm. horrific. And um, we also have a video on that on our oh, YouTube wow. channel of the boy wow. and his mom. And it just, it was so heartbreaking having a mother see her son that way. First, you have to look for him for years, for a couple of months, and then finding him in in mental states, it was just so heartbreaking because I felt how will this woman, you know, feel? Right. How does it feel to have your son fine one day and the next day everything changes mm. and you just, and you are helpless, you know, there's no help. The government isn't doing enough. And there was even, there was a follow-up episode, I think episode 23, where um, I think Amnesty International stepped in, got um, 
the government's attention. But then after one visit or so, that was all. And you had they had um private individual, a private individual stepped in to help. And after that, you know, they're just stranded. So it was just, you know, thinking you have a lifeline and then it's just nothing, nothing. Right. Yes, nothing. So it was just so horrific. I felt those two episodes and also the later episodes. Um, I think after episode eight, nine, because our sound design, um, mic and all got better. Right. So stories were really, really immersive after, you know. Yeah, yes, okay. That's I, I did notice yeah. that difference. I wasn't sure mm-hmm. when because I was just listening yeah. to whichever one caught my attention. But um mm-hmm. yeah, definitely stepped up, you know, like there'll be rain in the background and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so no, for me a, yeah for, for me like I think the 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 two that jumped out at me was um yeah. was the first one where um uh I think do they it was an older lady i think she said that she smokes to to, to deal with the pain and yeah, they had essentially they had essentially killed her sons you know she's like you know 84 or something and they killed like yes. three of her sons in front of her and then there's another one with right there's another one where they killed like another like our friends who also kind of mm-hmm. went through the same thing so to me that was one of the more you know painful stories and then the one where they were in a giwa um prison where oh. he had been there for three years and uh had no was that was the one right yeah and like they basically had 237 people in their cell in together cell. and mm-hmm. they, they couldn't shower or they didn't have enough food to drink enough water to drink or shower like you know just really really yeah, mm. yeah really really painful stuff and, and the reason why i haven't like found this or i looked into it is because i wanted i wanted to figure out if there was anybody telling these stories you know you hear about what's happening mm-hmm. especially since the lekito gate massacre you know you hear about yeah. You know, it got a lot of attention and I think it should have, especially because there were cameras when it happened, before it happened, after it happened, you know, it was yeah. on live TV, you know, in a way that is not typically the same, you know, maybe in the yeah. north, northern region of Nigeria, but still those stories should be covered. Still, we should have real accounts as opposed to, you know, just a bombing that's here what, and, a, and a village that's freed and a village is captured. It's very, very broad. It's very, very vague. So um, coming across, you know, the work that you guys are doing, I thought, it was um, just really, really informative. Um, you mentioned something about the Nigerian government. You know, you know. Obviously, we hear reports where that they are fighting against the terrorists, right? And we know that there have been some unsuccessful missions, and some have been somewhat successful. But it's not really clear to to the to the person who's looking from outside whether or not they're making any real progress and whether or not people are able to return to their property so um do you feel like the nigerian government has been successful in suppressing this terrorist in any way at all or how do you describe you know i guess the situation from that perspective so the military um specifically is one of the major um, stakeholders in ensuring peace and stability um, right. in that region the northeast and um it can be achieved if they are able to line their objectives properly with other sectors like the humanitarian and development sectors 
So you have um, these um, stakeholders trying to help the IDPs or help the victims. And then you have the military. Also, because there isn't enough um, resources, things get stretched, you know. So not that they haven't made progress, but not the type of progress that we will all like to see. So if they are able to line their objectives and they are work hand in hand with other sectors and also have um, the appropriate and um, efficient resources to fight this battle, battle, we would see more progress than we are seeing now. So definitely there has been um, progress Progress. made, but just not as fast as we want. And yes. Okay. And when you say progress, you mean that um, whatever the net amount of regions that Boko Haram had control of that are significantly reduced in the past couple of years. Is that what you're saying in terms of like their success? Yes, their success in fighting the insurgents. Right. So, okay. So we had... A couple of years back, we would have them, you know, bombing major cities. Right. But then that has reduced drastically. Right. But doesn't mean they still don't attack or they still don't have um, formations and um, groups. Right. But essentially, based on what we see, they've made progress. Maybe not as much as we want, but definitely something. Right. So, and um, okay. I, I'm also curious about something that that I, I don't know if this might be a stupid question, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so there, uh, there's Boko Haram, which I understand, but I've also seen ISWAP. Yes. So are they the same entity or are they separate entities? They are separate entities. They are two groups you know, fighting for different cause for um different causes, mm. but then doing the same thing, you know, the same damage <laughs> and all. Right. <laughs> so right. basically they are definitely um two groups with different, you know, missions. Right. But um in the broad sense of it, it's still the same they're doing the same thing. Right. Then, yeah. Do you do you see a threat of more groups forming? Like now you have Boko Haram, well, we had Boko Haram, now we have ISWAP. Is there a possibility that another group shows up? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing these are also people that have defected from Boko Haram that probably left mm. to set up ISWAP, mm. right? So is this something, you know, well, I, I guess you probably don't have the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> might not be in the conventional, yeah, actually. Yeah. Might not right. be in the conventional sense, you know, having, right. oh, Boko Haram, you know, right. ISWAP, or maybe right. smaller groups or something. It's possible. Right, right. So. because it's like, you know, you, you think about it, right? Like, you know, in the, in, in, um, in, uh, in the Middle East, I guess, right? So they, they obviously, yeah. they had the Taliban, right? And then they have Al-Qaeda mm-hmm. and then they have, you know, ISIS now and they have other Malaya. different groups as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's the reason I'm asking if this is something that, and, and you, there's no answer to this, like, so there's no way that you would really know, but um, sometimes we know that this seems there's a lot of infighting happening, then more of these mm-hmm. groups will form, right? But if there isn't, yeah. you know, then maybe not. So, but, you know, I guess that's just speculating on my part. 
um, okay, so uh, just regarding just covering these stories. Um, no, sorry. I, yeah. I just realized there was something I was going to say. Yeah. Regarding, you know, um, different groups or sects um, forming. So mm-hmm. we have another podcast um, at Human Angle. It's called The Crisis Room. And um, we have experts that come on to analyze um, security trends in Nigeria. So because we bring in experts um, that have studied or they've been in that field or sector for a while, they understand the region, they understand the sector, they understand the security trends in Nigeria. So definitely that will throw more lights on if um i swap and there if there might be more groups in the future so i think you should add that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so when a terror gang on motorcycles went on a rampage and attacked several communities in nigeria's volatile northwestern zamfara state the horrifying violence which also led to displacements was connected to a fallout of military operations particularly airstrikes targeting enclaves of terror groups known locally as bandits the massacre of defenseless civilians also occurred shortly after the release of a government gazette designating the groups as terrorists the proscription of these armed groups notorious for terrorizing communities and commuters is supposed to allow security forces and the government to use a wide range of military and non-military tools in tackling the security crisis in the northwest and also other parts of the north central region. Hello, welcome to The Crisis Room, a podcast from Human Angle. I am Mariam Mustafa. In this podcast, we look at crisis trends across the country and answer the tough questions around them. This week, I am here with my colleagues, Murtala Abdullahi and Kunli Adibajo. Right. So for listeners, what she's essentially trying to say is that these questions I'm asking you, I'm asking her, the answers are there yep. on, on the Crisis Room podcast. So you should definitely go check it out. I'll be doing that myself. And uh, yeah, well, thanks for, you know, <laughs> covering that. that. That's good. Um, okay, so there's one more thing I wanted to t- touch on, just in terms of how you guys are capturing these stories. And I'm just curious what your perspective is, right? So you talked about all the resources that you guys have dedicated to do- doing this research, fact-checking, all of those things, right? And you guys are a fairly new publication. So my thought mm-hmm. is, you know, most of the more experienced publications in Nigeria should be able to do this more as just as effectively as you guys have been able to do it. But I don't mm-hmm. think that's been the case. So my question, you know, to you, or at least from your perspective, working in this team, why do you think that there is a lack of coverage of the insecurity in the in the north and the northwest, um, you know, in Nigeria? What's what, what would you say is the major driver for that? Um, I think it all comes down to um, objectives and missions, you know, okay. of various people or groups or organizations in Nigeria. So um, when my when Mr. Ahmed Salikida and Dr. Obiora Shukomba started Human Angle, they wanted to create, they wanted to focus on a niche that they felt had a huge gap. Right. So conflict, security, humanitarian and development activities in Nigeria were underreported. Not maybe not because other publications did not want to, 
other publications, I believe, cover, you know, a wide range of um, sectors and topics and, you know, but we focus on conflicts. This is our niche. This is where we understand properly. So not for the lack of, you know, not wanting to. I just think it comes down to um, objectives, what you actually want to achieve. So um, Mr. Ahmed Selkida wanted to cover, you know, wanted to throw more light on conflict security because this is a problem that has been plaguing the country. And he felt that it was grossly underreported. Right. So, I think that's my um, question there, though. You know, mm, why do you yeah. think it's grossly underreported? You know, like for your right, they, they're covering a whole bunch of different industries and a lot of different issues that do happen in Nigeria, right? So I can't argue that this is the one biggest issue. So you're absolutely mm. right. But it just seems like mm. there's a lot, like, like if you look at the niche of entertainment, for example, or the niche of music, mm. um, there are significant mm. players in each of these brackets. But I don't see that same, mm. I, don't, I don't get that impression. Um, for the conflicts. Matter of fact, I would even argue that the conflicts and uh, or, or these kind of uh, issues of, of insecurity yeah. seem to be the focus of typically uh, global publications. So an Al Jazeera mm-hmm. is more likely yeah. to do a report on it or a BBC or maybe mm-hmm. a CNN um, um, in a way that I don't see maybe Arise covering as much, okay. you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, and, and that to me is what made you guys special because it, it, I don't, you know, it was, it was from, it was Nigerians by Nigerians, right? Um, it was for yeah. Nigerians by Nigerians, which, uh, you know, and I know it's not easy and I know it's not popular work. It's not, it's not, it's not. <laughs> um, so, so, so that's the reason why, it, it, do you suspect that that's probably the reason that it's not necessarily the most fun or entertaining thing to talk about? So as a result, um, publications don't focus their effort on it, or do you think there's more at play here? I think that's one of the reasons. It's not an easy um, sector or easy um, topic or range of topics to cover, you know? Mm. So that it comes with a lot of stress. It comes with a lot of, you know, having to deal with these news every right. single day. Mm-hmm. But um, I can't speak for other publications. I can right. just speak for us, you know. Right. <laughs> so I just know this is something um, Mr. Ahmed really realized that we needed and we decided to take a lead on it, you know. So yeah. as you said, there aren't a lot of players in this field. Right. Right, right. Well, well, I'm grateful to you guys for doing that work, and uh, and and uh, you know, I, I hope you guys continue, and I will be supporting as much as I can from where I am. So, um, that is that is awesome. I'm just curious, right? Like, and this is, you know, we already kind of touched on the fact that um, a lot of this information, uh, some of the trends and observations uh, mm-hmm. uh, have already been captured in the Crisis Room podcast. And yeah. um, that's something that we can go into for another day. But for my listeners um, mm-hmm. who are going to be checking out the Vestiges of Violence podcast, um, I, I, what are some of the uh, observations, trends, anything that you've noticed from capturing and talking and discussing all these stories? Like, what do you, what are, what, what are, what kind of sticks with you when you kind of look at all the work that you've been work and you've been doing for the past, I don't know, six to eight months? I think one major theme is that um, 
enough isn't being done, definitely, you know, to help the victims, um, displaced persons. Um, because uh, my focus definitely will always be the victims, you know, that human angle, how it touches, how this conflict touches people, uh, a certain groups of people. Um, and then we have issues like, um, you know, NGOs supporting, but then sometimes giving the wrong type of support. So I remember there was um, a report we had. Um, so NGOs, I can't remember the NGO, um, shared relief um, materials, aid materials in form of, um, you know, vocational skills. So right. they had, you know, tailoring, um, tailoring machines given right. to some of the women. And then they ended up selling it for less than half of the cost. cost. Yes. And why? Because you can't really use a skill that people don't want where you are. So mm-hmm. you are surrounded by IDPs, right? Or right. mostly poor people and um these people cannot afford to pay you for the service you want to render and you have a family to feed right Right. so why don't i just sell this um equipment and be able to feed my family even if it's for a day or two and then um that really struck me because we we always were always whenever we're talking about solutions when people are talking about solutions online or anywhere on platforms, you always see um, empower these people. But what type of empowerment, you know? It's not just, oh, train them on how to sew, train them on how to do this and give them the equipment and leave them and go. It goes beyond that. And um, mental health, you know? So having gone through some of the experiences that Mm -hmm. we've um, spoken about on vestiges of violence, these are people talking to reporters, people that actually want to hear their stories, right? Right. And then you realize that after that, that's all, you know, you go back to, um, they go back home. There's no mental um, support. Right. So um, the episode I mentioned, that's mother to a terrorist child, she spoke about how she still has dreams. Um, yes, yeah, about that. some killing that she witnessed. And I'm like, um, here or in um developed places or some parts of the country, if you witness this, sometimes you have support groups, right? That will help you, that will guide you through that to protect your mental health. But down north, where this um violence occurs, you don't really have that support group that will help you, you know, make sense, process your emotions, process what you've gone through, your grief, you know, and then um, help you move forward from that. So it's not just about providing food, providing, um, you know, um, skills for these women or these women and men, but then it's ensuring that they're stable enough, Mm. you know, after experiencing what they have experienced, so I think that's one thing that I realized is lacking that stood out for me. Yes, that and, um, you know, sometimes misplaced um, help. Right. I can call it that, right? right? And just 
knowing that some people just want their stories to be heard, you know, know that they exist, that this is what they've gone through. It's just, it's crazy how sometimes we, as human beings, right, we always want someone to listen to us, listen to what we've gone through. Right. And then knowing that you're somewhere, that you don't have that. You don't have people to listen to this horrific um, events or experiences you've had. And then just having someone, you know, coming to you and saying, I want to listen to you. It, it really goes a long way. And I know from the podcast, we've had like people that want to support some of these women. So it's like, oh, they heard my story. And they would like to help me, you know, mm. help me and my family. So it really, it made me understand the um, importance of what we're doing on vestiges of violence mm. and just, you know, putting it out there. So those are some of the few things that have really stuck out for me. Yeah, no, those are, that, that, that was beautifully said. That was beautifully said. And I think, you know, it's, it's so important because... I feel like these are the things that when you're not there or you're not hearing these stories, you know, yeah. directly that you look over, you know, yes, you want to empower, you know, you want to empower women and give them something to sew with, but <laughs> there is nobody here that's looking to buy any sewn clothes in the yeah. next 10, 15 miles, you know, yeah. what am I supposed to do with that? So um, that's, that's such a great point. Uh, I'm curious though, you know, you're covering these, these stories weekly and, you know, just for me listening to them, those are really, um, they're really powerful stories. And some of them are a little dark. They're not, they're not the most uh, enlightening thing, even though they are very informative. Um, how are you um, kind of managing to hear these stories on a weekly <laughs> basis? Like what's your, what's your hack to, to kind of resolve this? Um. So when when I first started, you know, um, hosting vestiges of violence, I, it got to me. It might not be when I'm recording; it might be later right. on when I'm just alone, you know, and thinking. But then I realized if I really want to continue doing this, I need to separate my emotions for a particular period of time to right. tell these stories and understand that putting it out there is what is most important, you know. Mm. So um, that's basically one of the ways I, you know, cope right. and just push through. And then just sometimes think about it and see how I can help in any way. But yeah, just. Right. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And more, more power to you. Um, <laughs> you know, so like the, one of the things I want to really focus on now is just kind of uh, what to do, who's doing what, and how anybody, everybody here can help. How, how, how can I help? How can anyone who's listening mm-hmm. help? But the first thing I would say is just, you know, um, these NGOs, um, so you talked about how some of them had like misplaced efforts in terms of giving the, uh, um, you know, the sewing machine that was ended mm-hmm. up not being useful. Um, are there any, any NGOs that are doing good work that maybe we can support or at least be aware of and know that this, this NGOs here are helping um, Nigerians in a real way? Is there anyone that comes to mind that, you know, that you guys have come across or worked with directly? Um, definitely um, Amnesty International. Mm. Um, we also have the Open Society Initiative for West Africa. Mm. They help um, smaller 
um, organizations, companies to achieve, you know, to make impact. And we also have the African Transitional Justice Legacy Fund. So it's um, basically a public charity and grants making initiative mm. that um, seeks to support, you know, um, smaller organizations or smaller companies like Human Uncle to make an impact, to make a difference. Yes. So that's just one of... Um, one of some of the organizations I can think of right now. Right. Then we always have, you know, private um, donors or private um, persons that will that support. So. Okay. Well, um, I'll capture as much of that in the show notes as I can. Um, mm-hmm. So you guys, you can support Human Angle, Vestiges of Violence, and the people that are actually being attacked. Um, just check out yeah. the notes and the information will all be there. Um. Um, and also, yep. um, it just it goes beyond, you know, um, supporting maybe financially or something. But I think it's important when we have increased discussions across, mm. you know, social platforms to improve awareness and, you know, get more people talking about what's happening, get more people involved in creating and implementing, you know, lasting solutions. So sometimes it, goes beyond you know what you might think maybe financially it's um it comes down to you know listening to what we have sharing and you know supporting our work and that can be done via um our platform um our um, websites or our social media pages can just find us there just to support you know get the conversation rolling let more people be aware and that's how we actually make, you know, changes. Yeah, right. Impactful. Um, yes. 100%. 100%. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping that this, uh, this for me would be the first step. And I'm hoping that we can all, you know, be able to work and engage in the future as well. Definitely. Um, it's been a great first step. <laughs> <You've> <laughs> well, out, thank yeah. you. It's, it's been a, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for taking the time. Um, and, and, and that's pretty much it. I don't, I don't, do you have anything else you want to say to the people or are you all good? Um, I think I'm good for now. Just, you know, check right. us out. Um, read our stories, listen to our podcast and, you know, read us. Don't forget to read our right. podcast and just, you know, share and support however you can. Absolutely. All that information is going to be at the show notes. You can also vote and sorry, you can also give uh, two takes and a yeah. pod five stars as well yeah. while you're, while you're there supporting vestiges <laughs> of violence and uh, crisis room. But you guys, thank you. And, uh, Hamida, thanks for taking the time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. This has been really nice. I truly enjoyed our, you know, conversation. And that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Or at least you learned something. So my take... Oh, it's kind of obvious, right? Enough isn't being done to help people suffering from insecurity in the North. Now, we know some of the NGOs are doing good work. See the show notes. But others are dropping the ball, no matter how well-intentioned they are. And that's because they aren't putting in enough care or attention, possibly. But the question is, why should they? 
when the government and her people barely discuss or highlight the horrors that are going on out there, how do you expect anyone else to do the same or do more? Even covering this myself, I know it's not the most click-friendly thing. I'm sure some people looked at the start and I'm like, yep, not for me. Don't need this right now. And I get it. But the fact is, this is important work. And it's something that I'll continue to bring light to. Sorry. And that's my take. Not enough is being done. So I guess I'll step up in my small little way with my small little platform. And if you'd like to do the same, well, you can check out the links in the show notes. Or you can write to me at twotakesandapod at gmail.com. It's probably easier to follow me at twotakesandapod on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok now. Yep, I'm out there. You can leave me a DM and I'm looking forward to hearing your take, especially on this topic. Don't forget to support the show so you keep getting quality conversations like this. Give me five stars across the board and leave a like on your streaming platform of choice. And of course, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been Two Takes on the Pod, and thank you so much for listening. Peace.